Bill English is back from BibleandBusiness.com. Hey, Bill. Good morning. Hey, good morning. That was a very inspiring uh, spot that you just did to open up this hour. I Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Thank you, it. sir. Thank you, sir. Um, on what kind of pillow did you rest your head last night? Believe it or not, it wasn't my pillow from Mike Lindell. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Have you ever been to Mankato? Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, so that's where he was about, born. You know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so he's a he's a Minnesotan, uh, yep. one of Minnesota's sons. If those of you who are listening are not aware of this, uh, one of Minnesota's sons is Mike Lindell. My Pillow is his um, is his business. He is uh, the person who created the My Pillow, and I am feel confident that you have seen a My Pillow ad, uh, particularly if you couldn't sleep in the middle of the night because the My Pillow ads mostly air in the middle of the night when people can't sleep because they have a bad pillow. Okay, so. Why are we talking about Mike Lindell and my pillow today, Bill? We are talking about him because he has uh, been a staunch supporter of Trump uh, and uh, trumpeting, no pun intended, the notion that the election was stolen. And so, as a result, uh, some of his distribution channels are saying that they're no longer going to carry his pillow because of his political statements and their view that his political statements are patentedly false. He's, he's uh, peddling false information, so to speak. We don't want to be associated with him. And this is an increasingly, um, uh, the, the corporate world is starting to become uh, divided along political lines and political ideologies. And Mike Lindell, I think, is one of the first casualties in this. And I think one of the things we're seeing you know, today, as the list of outlets who will not be selling my pillow, um, as that list grows, Bed Bath and Beyond, Kohl's, Wayfair, I mean, we're talking about some substantial um, commercial outlets where people go to to buy stuff like pillows. Um, I think it's important, Bill, for us to remember that sometimes when we express our convictions in public, there are real real world, and we say real world here, you know, I'm talking about the business world, real world consequences to those decisions. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be expressing our convictions, but there is a little bit here of counting the cost of what you're out there doing um, and how you're doing it. And this this leads to the notion that consumers are incre- increasingly wanting to know what the owner and the CEO and the company supports socially and politically. There is now brand, it's called brand purpose. It's been around for a few years and they want to know what the brand is about. They want to know what the company is about and they want to buy from companies who believe the way they do. And that's why you're seeing um, corporations, you're seeing NFL teams, you're seeing uh, professional sports teams, uh, television stations, social media platforms. Everybody is getting on a bandwagon and those who are in the minority are going to be cut out of the uh, not just the public square, but the economic square, so to speak. They're not going to be able to participate. It's going to be harder now for Mike Lindell, for example, to create a distribution channel, right? And and if and if his suppliers don't like what he's saying, they may stop supplying to him because they will be hurt more by customers not buying from them than they will by Mike buying from not being able to buy from them. Uh, this is this is really dangerous territory that we're in when we're combining the economic and the political with the religious. Basically, it, this this, this yeah. is dangerous areas. 
Well, and I think that, you know, maybe some some wise counsel here to Christian business owners, um, you know, what's our brand purpose? What bandwagon must we be on? Um, what what is it that we should be known for as Christians in, in every in, in every sector of life, but certainly in the business sector? Yeah, well, no matter what sector, but especially in the business, because there's so much influence there that business owners have, we really should be known first for our faith and allegiance to God much more than our faith or allegiance to a political philosophy, to a political party, to a social cause, or anything else. And this is where um, I, I want to urge us to not confuse or unnecessarily conflate social issues with theology. Theology stands above and beyond and outside of any of our social or political uh, beliefs. It doesn't say that—what I'm, I'm not saying is that they are distinct and separate, but what I am saying is that, is that they shouldn't be marbled together into the same unit. Uh, theology should inform our social and political activities, but it should stand above and beyond it. Well said. Well said. All right, Bill English and I have to take a very brief break. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Um, Bill, I, I don't know, probably 10 or 15 different directions we could go right now. I think let's go in the direction of what some are calling censorship, um, what others are calling, you know, a, a legitimate um, exercise of business in terms of limiting dangerous speech, um, and what some are openly calling, you know, prejudice against conservatives. Can you talk, can you just wade into that? Because we, we certainly have individuals whose speech has now been limited by some corporations on social media. Um, and, you know, there are certainly lots of conservatives raising um, raising the alarm about that. I don't know. I just want you to – just curious yeah. how you're viewing all of that. Yeah, so I, this isn't in the notes, Carmen, but think back to when Trump was first elected and how the social media platforms were just pummeled by Congress for not having um, uh, policed – what Congress thought was uh, obviously uh, inaccurate and untruthful speech, mainly by the Russians or by by foreign actors, and that's why uh, Twitter, Trump, and or Twitter, Facebook, and others got into this whole game of trying to police speech. It's a slippery slope. I don't like the public square being primarily owned, so to speak, by private corporations. Because private corporations are not required to in legally enforce free speech. Uh, and what, what's going to happen here is that uh, a, a place like Parler is going to get stood up by the end of, of January. Conservatives will flock there. That will leave Facebook mainly with liberals. And we'll have a further divide in our country as the public square gets divided along uh, ideological lines. This is a this is a dangerous place for us to be. Um, government is supposed to enforce free speech, but what do you do when the public square is owned privately, and the and those who own it don't have to enforce it? And and by the way, I, what I am using Facebook, Twitter, and other social media platforms, and I'm saying those are basically our public squares now. 
you know, you, right, yeah, I'm, you I'm, asked, I'm writing that question down for myself. Um, what do you do when the public square is owned privately? Because that is right. that that's the point at which we have arrived. I think that's a that's a good way of framing the question and framing the conversation that we need to be having with one another. Um, so uh, let's talk about the public square as it exists on so, primarily on social media. Those are privately owned companies, and yet that is the place and the space where we are able to. Um, it's the democratization of information for sure, but it's also the democratization of um, uh, of everybody's voice being elevated to the to the same level, which means that completely uninformed screechers are put on a par with um, people who are genuinely like experts and well informed in particular in particular areas. So I deal constantly with people who are. Um, relying on inaccurate, false information um, that they are trying to put on a par with information that is being supplied by people who actually know what's going on um, and know the background of something and know the law related to something. And um, we're in the room, have an eyewitness testimony to share. And it's hard. It's hard because all of it is put on a par in these um, in these social media environments. People people tend to believe what they want to believe, and people tend to listen to that which comports to what they already believe. But you have this public square now that is owned privately, and now combine that with the with the consumers who want to buy services or participate in services from a from a company that agrees with them, right? And mm-hmm. so. This that's why you're going to see a bifurcation, trifurcation, quadfurcation of social media platforms. By the end of the year, you're going to see a lot of other social media platforms uh, pop up, and these social media platforms are going to be primarily uh, intended to cater to one ideology or another, and that will further divide us. And and look, who is who is the arbiter of truth here? When somebody I, says I, you're I lying, would, I would I would like to be I that I will tell you <laughs> that if that were a job, I would I know I know it's not possible. It's totally arrogant to assume the arbiter of truth has to be has to be God. I mean, he is the truth. And so he, that has. But how do we judge what we are reading and hearing against um against God. I mean, that is ultimately the test, but that's hard to do. That's real discernment and it requires real wisdom. It requires research and wisdom and maturity. You're absolutely right. But in in the public square, go back 200 years to the proverbial public square. If somebody stood up and started uh, uh, saying things that were patentedly untrue, the others would debate. And so to my way of thinking, debate is the way that we arrive at truth. When you divide the ideologies into different public squares, so to speak, different social media platforms, we no longer thoughtfully debate. We now just yell at each other. We're just talking past each other. And we really never, we, we just don't get anywhere. I'm, I'm deeply concerned that Facebook or Twitter thinks it can be the arbiter of truth. That is, yeah. that is not how this is supposed to work. Yeah. Um, that that arbiter of truth conversation is a good one, and we should. Um, I'm making a note of it because that is one I should circle back around, not only with you on, but with, but with others as well. 
Um, I, I got to tell you, Bill, part of the pressure that I feel is to be present in in all of these places, which is impossible, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can't you can't be effectively present um, on on Facebook and Twitter and Snap and uh, Instagram and WhatsApp and uh, and Parler and whatever else is going to be developed in the future. And so you have to make a choice about where you interact, what you what feed you read, um, and what conversations you contribute to. Um, that is also then um, uh, limiting your own quote unquote audience. Your ability to influence the conversation being had among others uh, is dependent on where you you know have your voice platformed and heard. Um, I got to tell you that is uh, that's of concern to me as well. So so many uh, conversations for us to have. Um, I liked your uh, I liked in the notes that you and I exchanged. Um, this concept of the flavor of the day hateable. Um, so yes, the flavor, yeah. yeah, the flavor of the day uh, in terms of the hateable one um, is changing. But talk, talk with us about uh, the Christian calling in the midst of that. Yeah, let's not hate. Christians don't hate. What do we do? We love our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. We, you know, hate is the is the root of of, of murder and anger. Christ. I'm paraphrasing now in in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. Uh, let's not participate in hate. Let's not be duped by a guy who is increasingly appearing as not in touch with reality, in my estimation. Uh, and let's not be lo- known for allegiance to any one party, especially if that party is engaged in hate. And I think both parties are. Mm-hmm. I think both parties are engaged in hate these days. Uh, the The flavor of the day will change. Somebody else will be hateable tomorrow. And eventually it's going to be Christians. And that's when we need to really make sure that we are um, not hate-filled, but love-filled people. Yeah, and, and how do we respond? Um, we don't respond in, in like. We don't respond in kind. We respond Correct. in kindness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, that whole turning away wrath thing with a, with a quiet word. There you go. Isn't that Thank something? you so much, Proverbs sir. 15, 1. Yeah, Proverbs right? 15, 1. Yeah. I know. There's all, God's got a word for everything. He does. He does. That's why he is. It's he is so spot on all the time because he is the origin of truth. Amen. <laughs> Amen. All right, Bill English. Thank you so much. What a pleasure um, to talk with you today. We look forward to our next conversation. I do too. Thanks, Carmen. Absolutely. That's Bill English. You can find him at BibleInBusiness.com. We'll be right back. 